Welcome to His Church Owensboro Podcast. We are so excited about what God is doing in your life, and we would love to hear from you. Visit us at hischurch.cc and let us know about all of the things that God is doing in your life. If you have been blessed by this podcast and would consider supporting us financially, please visit hischurch.cc and click on Give to see the many options available. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message blesses you. your feet this morning. How about let's give that to Jesus who is worthy of all the glory, the honor, the praise, and the majesty. Amen. Well, it's so good to be with you today at his church and all of the campus. And John, before you're seated, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find the person on your left and your right, and I want you to tell them right now, say, Pastor Shane thinks you look amazing. Right? Amen. Hopefully you didn't lie to anybody before you got to see. You can be seated in the presence of God. This morning, we want to welcome all of the His Church Network campuses all over uh, America that are joining us today. It is so exciting to be with you guys. And I'm going to ask you today to take out your Bible because I have a limited amount of time and I have an illustrated message that I want to share with you that I believe is going to change your life forever. So I hope you came with ears to hear what the Spirit of God is going to say to you today. I'm very proud of you, His Church, and I say this all the time, proud of the stand. I'm proud of what your pastor is doing in Dallas, Texas uh, this weekend at the Faith and Freedom Conference. They've had an amazing conference. You need to be praying for Pastor Brian and Pastor Jess. They're really making a very bold stand in America, and it needs to be made. Somebody better shout amen to that. Don't you believe that? Amen. I want you to turn with me to a very interesting passage of Scripture, a very interesting story in your Bible. I want you to go with me to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'm only going to read one verse of Scripture, but my message today is going to come out of verses 1 through 13. But I'm only going to read the last verse, verse number 13 today. And before I get started this morning, I want everybody to look right here and listen to me. God can't fix it if it's not broken. That's contrary to our natural way of thinking. I'm telling you, God's way of thinking is God cannot fix it if it's not broken. So if you have something broken, give it to God this morning. And uh, I'm coming today with, I believe, one of the most stirring, exciting words that God has ever given me. Let's look at verse number 13. So Mephibosheth, I would slap my mama if she named me Mephibosheth. (laughs) So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both of his feet. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. Now I want you to read this second part out loud. Read it out loud with me and read it like you believe it's the Bible and you believe the Bible torments the forces of darkness. Ready? For he ate continually at the king's table. Say that out loud. Come on. For he ate continually at the king's table. One more time. For he ate continually at the king's table. But the Bible says he was lame. One translation says he was broken in both of his feet. 
Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what you're going to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 3,000 years ago, King David was the most powerful man ruling over the most powerful nation on earth. King David was at the very zenith and the very apex of his life. His family was finally ruling over a completely united kingdom of Israel. He expounded the boundaries of Israel from approximately 6,000 miles to 60,000 square miles. And he has, there has never, ever been that kind of boundary since that time. King David, a man who never knew political or military defeat, Saul killed his thousands. But David killed his tens of thousands. King David, when he was in control, the economy was running on every cylinder. There was not only a chicken in every pot and a chariot in every garage, grapes on every vine. The rivers of peace flowed, prosperity flowed, and literally flooded the land of Israel when he was in control. And now the battles that had been fought and the wars that had been won, the peace that had been established, all of this had been done. King David, I believe, was sitting on one of his beautiful thrones one day, and he had a blast from the past. He revisited where he came from. One of the things I love about King David is even though he was such a blessed man, it's almost like he never forgot where he came from. He never forgot his roots. Let me take you back there for just a moment and step back through a couple of decades. David was just a shepherd boy out in the field. And Samuel, of course, had been told by God that Saul was no longer going to be allowed to be king. God was pulling the anointing. He was pulling his grace off of Saul. Saul had trespassed against God to such a point that God said, I'm taking the anointing of leadership away from his life. Don't ever let anybody tell you that you can't use, lose the anointing or the gift that God has put on your life. You can trespass God to a certain degree that God will take his hand off. And this is what King Saul did, the first king of Israel, the man who was the tallest and the most handsome, the most gifted in all of Israel. Now God was having to take his hand off of him and God was looking for somebody else to place his anointing of leadership on. And God tells Samuel, the prophet, whom the Bible says not one word of the prophet's mouth fell to the ground. In other words, he never uttered a false prophecy. He said, I want you to go down to Bethlehem and I'm, you're going to anoint a new king there. And of course, Samuel was very reluctant to do this because Samuel knew that if Saul found out that he was on his way down to another town to anoint a new king, that it would mean certain death for him. So Samuel started asking God, God, what do you want me to do? Because if Saul gets wind of this, I'm dead for sure. And God speaks to Samuel these words. Listen to how profound these words are. He says, Tell him you're going to a sacrifice. If somebody asks where you're going, just tell them to come with me to the sacrifice. And so you see Samuel on his way down to anoint the king and people stopping him and saying, what are you doing? And he would say, come with me to a sacrifice. It's almost like God is making a muse. It's almost like God is strategizing. God is scheming. It almost looks like from the surface level that God is lying because he wasn't going down to make a sacrifice. He was going down to anoint a king. Why is God using this terminology? Well, the truth of the matter is, is if you're anointed by God, 
something in your life will die. Everybody who's anointed is going to pay a price for that anointing. And so for everybody in this room, I'm not going to chase this rabbit in the hole this morning, but everybody in this room who says, God, I want you to use me. I want you to gift me. I want you to call me. I want you to anoint me. I want to tell you that the anointing comes at the price of pain. And the threshold of your anointing in your life, the flow of the anointing in your life will be determined by the threshold of pain in your life. If you can't suffer a lot, you can't rule a lot. And so anytime somebody's going to be anointed, something's going to have to die. Samuel wasn't really lying and God wasn't really trying to trick anybody. He was making a very profound fact of truth, statement of truth, that if you have the anointing, it's going to cost you something. And so Samuel souls up to Jesse's house and Samuel says, I'm here to anoint the new king. And Jesse prepares all of his children, dresses them in the finest little knickers that he can find and puts them in polished shoes and has their hair all did up. And he brings them and he puts them in line. And Samuel the prophet, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, starts going down across those young men and all of them are cute and all of them are polished and all of them are prepared and all of them have the right look and all of them have the right lineage and all of them have the right pedigree, but there's nobody in the lineup who's qualified in God's eyes. Let me bring my second point to the table today. If you're anointed, you're going to pay a price. But let me also tell you something. God's not into anointing people who are always polished and look like they're qualified for the job. Many times when God gives the gift of grace to somebody, he gives it to somebody who doesn't deserve it and can't really handle it. Aren't you glad for a God who doesn't look over those of us who look like we're unqualified? And so Samuel, after looking at all of Jesse's sons, he says, no, 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 there's nobody else here. And he says, don't you have anybody else? Is there another kid? And it's almost like David. How do you think David felt? David wasn't even invited into the lineup. Well, there's some reasons for that. The Bible says Davy had ruddy complexion and probably had red hair. And it is believed that David was the child of one of the concubines and he wasn't really in the lineup. He should have never been in the lineup. He would have been uh, legally disqualified for being the next king of Israel. How many fair-skinned, red-headed Jews do you see running around? Not many at all. And so because of that, he was out there in the desert and he was tending the sheep, right? And, and that's the reason he was looked over. I always wondered how little David felt. Yet he wasn't invited, at least to the ceremony. Come on, he's the baby of the family. Who puts the baby of the family out there when such a special occasion? You show, always show the baby of the family. Y'all looking at me real crazy right now. Come on, we're country folk. If, if you want to talk to me, if you hang around me at all, I'm going to show you a baby picture of my grandbabies. I'm going to, I'm going to show them Ezra, James off to you and little Noel, who I call call Ellie now, who's one year old and is into everything in the cabinets. And, and I would just show them all. Who puts the baby kid out on the backside of the desert with lions and bears? I mean, who jeopardizes the baby of the family? But this is where David was. And Samuel said, there's got to be somebody else. And Saul said, well, you know, I do have one, but he, he's not much. He's a little ruddy kid. And, you know, he's good at tending sheep, but he's not 
good at anything else. He hasn't been to the best schools here in Bethlehem, but he's out there in the backside of the desert. He said, somebody go and get him. And here comes little David. And David doesn't look like much, but David back there on the backside of the desert had learned a secret with God. David had learned that when nobody else wanted you, that there's a God in heaven who always loves you and always wants you. He found that just because you're alone doesn't mean that you're necessarily lonely. That if you've got God, God is more than enough. And he would play his heart under the night skies and the presence of God would come down and he would sing songs that he later published in the book of Psalms to those sheep. And God was moving on little David and he was teaching him how to do battle. I mean, a bear shows up and David gets down on the bear. A lion shows up and he tears the lion apart. I'm talking about a little kid now who is learning a lot in the desert place of his life. Imagine how broken he must feel at that moment. He's not considered part of the lineup. All he has is God, but that was the characteristic that God was looking for. A man who was after his own heart. He wasn't after fame or prestige. He wasn't after political prowess. He wanted God's heart. And so here comes little David, and sure enough, Samuel sees the glory on little David and he takes the horn of oil and he pours it on David and he anoints him. And at that moment, David, as a little boy, as a teenager, is anointed as king of Israel. But even though he had the anointing, there's a process to the anointing. Listen to me. There's always a growth factor to the anointing. There's a process to the anointing. He was anointed to serve as king, but he had no position at that point. Did you know God will anoint you before he forgives you? a position? I thought I was in an empty room. I said, did you know that God will anoint you before he gives you the position to see how you handle your anointing when you're not on the platform? And if you can't handle your platform, your anointing in the secret of your play, place of your life, you can't handle the anointing on the platform of your life. And so he had to learn how to be anointed and not be seen. And he had to learn how to be anointed and carry his brothers some lunch. He had to learn how to be anointed and not have his name in lights. He had to learn that anointing. And then there came a time when he had to use that anointing to defeat Goliath, and that propelled him. And then he had to learn how to be anointed to serve another man's vision. King Saul. Then he had to learn how to be anointed when people would persecute him and make fun of him and, and it wasn't working out. He had to learn how to be faithful when he wanted to kill somebody. I can say I must be the only one that has ever experienced going through this progressions of the anointing. People think you get anointed to be king. That means you're going to be king. No, let me tell you what that means. That means you're getting ready to go through a process that's going to prepare you for the place that God wants to bring you to. That's what that means. And so God is preparing him. Finally, he kills Goliath. You know the story later. He, uh, Saul dies and Saul becomes king, uh, or David becomes king of Judah rather, and then later becomes king of all Israel. 
and he unites the kingdom. Watch this. So he starts out as a king, as anointed shepherd boy. He then becomes a king over a certain aspect of the kingdom, then a king over all of the kingdom. See the progressions of the anointing. The, the grace of God is growing on David's life. And then David along the way has made his mistakes and he's had to deal with messed up people and broken people, hanging out in caves with people who broke, busted, disgusted, lives all jacked up, and this is supposed to be my mighty men. You know, it is the people who are jacked up that are the craziest when it comes to fighting. I just want to point that out. And so these are my mighty men, and he had to learn how to deal with all that, and now he's sitting on his throne in Israel, and he's mem- he's remembering all that God has done. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. He's just remembering all of that. And then he, he issues this decree. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, he calls for his servants, and specifically a man by the name of Ziba. And he says, I need to know something. Is there anybody left in Saul or Jonathan's household? Is there anybody left? And Ziba said, um, mm, <clears throat> I've been keeping this a secret for a while, but Yes, sir, Mr. King, there, there's, a, the, 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 there's somebody left. Uh, there, there is a little, little uh, young man that is left. And he said, uh, he said, he is. He said, go, go get him. And no doubt in Zeba's mind and all the other servants' mind, in those days in biblical times, if a king took leadership, he eliminated all the family of the former king so that there was any possibility of an heir showing up. He eliminated them. So all of the chamber, the king's chamber, thinks that that King David is now going to eliminate the last of the lineage of Saul's line down through Jonathan, this little boy by the name of Mephibosheth. And he says, go bring Mephibosheth. And here's what amazes me. He says, is there anybody left that I may bless him? I mean, but you, you want to bless your enemy? You want to bless the family that tried to kill you? See, David understands, I didn't get here on this throne by myself. God put me here, and I need to, I need to bless somebody for God's grace that he has put on my life. I'm going somewhere with this. It's going to be good when I get there, but it's going to give me a second, all right? And so he says, I want you to go get him. I know where he's at. Ziba said, I know where he lives. I heard he lives down there on 1810 Lodabar Avenue. And He's got a house down there. And go, he said, go, go, go get this young man and bring him to me. And so they load up the king's chariots. The king had the finest horses and the finest chariots in all the land. They load up the chariots and they go running. And I can almost see it. Uh, this, this little young man by the name of Mephibosheth sitting at the kitchen table looking out the window. And he's looking up the dirt road. And all of a sudden he sees the dust begin to fly in the atmosphere. And he realizes somebody's coming down the dirt road. And the closer that this gets, he realizes these are some pretty impressive horses. And that chariot, that's not your common chariot. That, that looks like the king's chariot. And all of a sudden, it pulls up in front of the house. And you've got to understand Mephibosheth knows that 
at any moment David could have him killed, that he'll be hunted down. And he's realizing this is the king's chariot. And so now he hears the knock on the door and one of his maids goes to the door, opens the door, and he hears that this is Ziba, one of the servants of the king, and that the king has asked for Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth in his mind is thinking, oh, this is it. I'm going to die. I'm going to die just like my grandfather and my dad did. I'm, I, I'm, that's it. He's, he's going to kill me. And they're, they're going to come in. And they, the Bible says they had to re- go in there and get Mephibosheth. And when they got him, he was crippled in his legs. You see, whenever he heard about Saul and Jonathan's death, the maid that was tending to him, nursing him as a child, took off running down the steps of the palace. And she tripped and fell on the steps. And she fell on top of the kid. And she crushed his feet. And it crippled him for the rest of his life. So now we have this poor little kid and he is, he's crippled and, and he thinks he's going to die. Can you imagine the fear at the moment? He thinks he's going to die. And one of the soldiers goes over and picks Zeba up and he carries him to the king's chariot and he sets him in the king's chariot. And all the time he thinks, oh God, this is it. This is the end. The horses take off back toward the palace of King David, and the closer he gets, the more his heart is beating in his chest. There's a knot in his stomach. He wants to throw up, but he can't do it. He, he, he realizes that imminent death is about to fall on him. You see, this, this young man has some problems. He really does. He has been crippled by a fall. He has been crippled by a fall. And the, the real struggle here is it wasn't his fall. It was somebody else's fall that messed his life up. And it has crippled him. And not only is he crippled by a fall, but he's cursed with a name. He's got the king's name, the king's lineage. And so he's crippled and he's cursed. And he's also caught in a famine. The Bible says he's in a place called Lodabar. And Lodabar means a house of no word or a house of no communication. It's a, it's a, it's a place of no pasture. So he's caught in a famine. So he's crippled by a fall. He's cursed. He, he's cursed with the name. He's out of the house of Micah, the Bible says. The house of Micah, which is a curse. It means nothing. And here he is. He is nothing. He's crippled. Can you imagine? And he's afraid for his life. And so here is this young crippled boy, and they pull up to the castle, heart about to beat out of his chest. He just knows this is it. They pick him up, and they carry him into the king's chambers, and there sitting on the throne is King David, the man who had the opportunity a thousand times to kill his daddy but chose not to because the anointing and the process of the anointing wouldn't let him do it. And the man that served his family, and yet that family turned against him. And the man that is now ruling over all Israel, the man who has now conquered everything and expanded the kingdom, the most powerful man in the world at that time, the most prosperous man at the world at that time. And here they come in with this little zebra or this little boy, Mephibosheth, and they carry this little crippled boy and they set him down in front of the king. And the king steps up from behind the throne and he walks down to Mephibosheth and he makes this statement. He said, I want everybody in this chamber to know something. I made a covenant with his daddy, Jonathan, and I'm here today to honor that covenant. 
And he looks down at little Mephibosheth and said, Mephibosheth, I know that you've been crippled by a fall. I know that you've been cursed with a name. I know that you have been caught in a famine. I know that your life is so messed up. And I know that you think I'm here today to kill you. But I didn't get an invitation or give an invitation and have my men to go get you, to bring you into this place, to embarrass you, to murder you, or to kill you. I came to simply tell you this, that there is the king's table. And here at the king's table, I'm making a seat for you at the king's table. And you can almost hear from Mephibosheth, say, well, hold it. I don't, I don't deserve. No, 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 no. Mephibosheth, this isn't about what you deserve. This is about the desire of the king. I'm about to get happy now. This is about the desire of the king. You don't understand Mephibosheth. I've been there. I've been the one that was on the backside of the desert. Nobody wanted me. I've been the one that had the wrong name. I've been the one that was broken out there and had to, I had nothing but just to sing songs to God. And God wants me to bless you. I want you to know today I'm going to bless you even though you don't deserve it. I'm going to bless you even though you've been crippled by something you didn't even have to do with. I'm going to bless you even though you are, have a, been cursed with a name and everybody makes fun of you every time they say your name. And you've been caught in a famine. I know you don't have nothing. I know you don't have nothing. But I want you to know I'm going to bless you today. And I want everybody in this room to know that Mephibosheth and his family gets to eat at the king's table anytime he wants to. To day or night, if he calls for a ribeye, somebody cook him a ribeye. If he wants crab legs, even though he should be eating kosher, put him crab legs on the table. Come on, y'all. Y'all making me work in Kentucky. But... He said, I want you to know he gets a seat at the king's table. And then I can see King David, this man, this warrior of warriors, picks this little crippled boy up who used to be an enemy of the family. And he carries that little crippled boy and he puts him at the king's table and he sets him down at this table. I need somebody right now to help me right now. I need one volunteer. I need one volunteer in the room right now, one volunteer who's been through hell this year. Let me see your hand. Nobody's been through hell. Y'all all gonna lie for, come here, baby. I need you. Here's my little Mephibosheth. Now, hang on right there. I'm glad, I'm so glad you're skinny. All right, Jason Murphy. Jason Murphy is one of my men at my church. I want you to pick her up. She's crippled in her feet. Pick her in, go ahead, pick her up. Guys, come on, we, we, we streaming. To, don't let her walk, pick her. There you go. You act like you never picked a woman up. He's got, he's got Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth crippled in her feet, cursed with a name, don't deserve nothing, crippled by fall. And I'm going to prophesy to you now that you had nothing to do with. What you've been through had nothing to do with you. It wasn't something you decided. In other words, it wasn't a decision that you made that put you in the mess you in, but it crippled you, and you don't deserve a seat at the king's table. But God sent me with a word for somebody in this room today to let you know that if it ain't broken, God can't fix it. 
And God is a master of fixing broken things and restoring broken things. And God sent me to somebody in Kentucky and in Texas and all the different campuses to let you know that if you've got a broken part of your life, if you feel like you're a nobody, if you feel like you have nothing to offer the king, there is a king in heaven who's sitting on a throne who wants to bless you beyond your wildest imagination. He loves you with a love that is so passionate and fiery, you can't even imagine how good he wants to be to you. And all of the attendants in the king's chamber who's watching poor little Mephibosheth been hiding and running all his life. He takes him and he sets him at the king's table. Oh yeah. Scoot little Mephibosheth up there to that table. Oh, I'm about to preach. All that was introduction for my real message. Mephibosheth wants you to know something. You're never going to have to worry about food again. I know you've been living down there in Lodabar and it's been a mess. There ain't nothing down there, but you're not going to have to worry about food again. You want something, you ring the bell. I want everybody to know you treat Mephibosheth like it's like I'm the one walked in the room. When Mephibosheth is brought to this table, he gets everything that I would get if I were to sit at this table. This is the king's table. This ain't nobody else's table. This ain't Lone Star. This ain't Texas Roadhouse. This ain't the Moonlight Grill. <laughs> Come on, somebody. This is the king's table. And Mephibosheth, even though he's crippled by a fall and cursed with a name and caught in a famine, Mephibosheth, the Bible says, ate continually at the king's table. I like that. Now, y'all think I like that because I look like I like food, and I do. Right? I used to be 305 pounds. I like to eat. I still like to eat. You say, oh, he's preaching like this because he likes fried chicken and collard greens and hot water cornbread. I grew up on the other side of the tracks. Y'all don't know what hot water cornbread is. Y'all like that little fluffy fake stuff. Anyway, y'all are jiffy cornbread people up here in the north. I know how it is, but he's preaching like that because he likes food. He, he ate continually at the king's table. But that ain't, that ain't why I'm preaching because I see a picture here. Because Mephibosheth, what you know about Mephibosheth, he eats continually at the king's table and he's crippled in his feet. God's making a statement here. Because look at me. If you can get a camera shot, I want you to get a camera shot of Mephibosheth at the table, I want you to notice that when you're sitting at the king's table, everything that's crippled is hidden at the king's table. Excuse me. Everything is... 
everything that's broken. When you get to the king's table, look at me. You're blessed above even though you might be broken beneath. Can I, can I tell somebody in here, I tell everybody in here, I told you there's a process to the anointing. You show me somebody who has a heavy anointing on their life, I'll show you people that have walked through brokenness and pain and despair and depression, but whenever they sit at the king's table, all of that is hidden by the grace of Almighty God. Are you listening to me? I'm talking to some people in this room today that you've been through some broken stuff this week. You feel like you have been crippled this year. You feel like something has crippled you. And some of you are crippled and you didn't have nothing to do with it. A spouse walked out on you. A child has lost their mind and went another direction. You got fired from a job that you've been at for 30 years, and you should not even be in this condition. You came from the lineage of royalty. You shouldn't even be in this position. Nonetheless, you have been crippled by life. Look, look. Judgment. Justice. Everybody say justice. Justice demands that Mephibosheth die. That's what justice demands. Justice demands that Mephibosheth die. Mercy. Mercy says let him let him live. But grace says covering his brokenness. And some of y'all have a picture of God and all you see is judgment. Wants to kill you for every broken thing in your life. I'm going to say it again. If it ain't broke, he can't fix it. Church is a place for broken people. I heard somebody say, well, church is just a crib for messed up people, or a crutch for messed up people. I sure hope so. Church is a place where broken people, God forbid that you would be so highfalutin, so popular in this city that the broken, busted, disgusting, that the poor, the naked, the shamed, those who are the outcasts could not come into this place and find hope in God. I pray that God shuts you down before you ever get there. I, we don't need another church where people can come in with their religious noses and lift their noses in the air and just be some kind of spiritual uh, you know epitaph we don't need that anymore we need some churches because right now America's broken people are hurting people's lives are in a mess and they don't know where to go they don't know where the answer is but I'll tell you what the answer is Jesus is still the answer for the world today above him there's no other for Jesus is still the way somebody better give the Lord a shout right right now at every campus if you believe that Jesus is the way. People say, Pastor Shane, boy, you you so blessed. God's been good to you. No, no, let me tell you the truth. Can I tell you the truth? Look, I'm blessed above. You see me sitting at the king's table. You didn't see me when I lived in a little crack motel. You see me with grace. You didn't know me without grace. But you know what a lot of people do? 
I know I'm out of time. I hate time. You know what a lot of people do? You know what a lot of church people do? This makes me want to slap church people. Right? Church people. Instead of just leaving it under grace, they always want to point out the broken. Always trying to pull the cover up on somebody's brokenness. God, don't you know what she did? Don't you know where he's from? Don't you know she's been through a divorce? Don't you know what they did? Don't you know that he's been in jail? Always trying to pull it up. But one thing I love about God, the Bible says he takes our sin and he casts them as far as the east is from the west, never to remember them anymore against us. Trust me when I say God knows how broken things are under the table. He knows. But God's not looking at what's under the table. He's looking at what's above the table. I'm going to tell you right now. If you're in here today and you're broken, I'm getting ready to do something because I'm out of time. But we're going to do something here because I'm tired of traveling three hours preaching and giving it to another pastor. I'm going to roll like I roll. I'm fixing to go to praying for people and laying hands on people. If you're at another campus, and I want everybody to stand all over this room. If you're at another campus, I want you to stand as well. I don't care whether it's Amarillo or Dumas or Henderson. If you're there and you're broken, we're getting ready to lay hands. So I want every campus pastor right now to come to the front. If you've got a prayer team, get them to the front. We're getting ready to lay hands on folks. And we're just going to stay in here a moment, all of us. Because we're so used to coming in and seeing the show and leaving out and boom, and here we go and play church. No, 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 no. You know what we're really here about? We're here because if somebody's broken, we want to get them under the table of the king. And the Bible says he'll spread a table before us in the presence of our enemies. God's going to set some of you at a table that you dealt, your enemies can't even touch you. God's getting ready to do a miracle today. So listen to me right now, right now, right now. I'm not going to ask three or four times. I'm going to ask one time. If you've been going through a season of brokenness or you feel like that you've been forgotten or you're the outcast, you feel like David, you feel like God wants to do something with you, but you've wondered really if God could ever do anything with you or with your life, but today you realize you've got an invitation to sit at the king's table where you'll be blessed above even though you're broken beneath. I want you to get out of your seat right now and come up here to the front because I'm fixing to lay my hands on some people in here this morning that need a touch from God. Come on. At every campus, start coming right now. Pastors, just start laying hands on them. I know at some point the feet will have to switch, but we're just going to start laying hands on people. And I know it ain't just women that's broken in here. Shokopaba. What's your name, baby girl? Huh? Wanda, lift your hands. You were the first person to step out. So I ask God to give you double. Double restoration. Double restoration in Jesus' name. Now, this is not a spectator sport. I want everybody to lift your hands this way, and I want you praying over your church family today. What's your name, baby? 
Whitney, Wanda, and Whitney, in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, that she's at the king's table. <laughs> oh, God, that all the brokenness is covered by the king's table this morning. I thank you for the grace of God that takes away all shame. What's your name, baby girl? Oh, God. Thank you for grace. Hallelujah. Sister, would you just begin to worship the Lord? Just... I thank you for the king's table, Lord, that's covering every broken place. My God. Who else? Anybody else? Come say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me right now. Come here, baby girl. That is who. Lift both your hands. The Spirit of God says, I'm healing you today. This healing is a physical healing. I hear the Spirit of the Lord saying, I'm going through her body today, and I'm literally healing. Today, I believe that God orchestrated this first service just for you. That all the brokenness is under the king's table. Quit worrying about it now. And this goes for every one of you who have come up here. Quit worrying about the broken pieces. Quit focusing on the broken pieces and start focusing on what's on the king's table for you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That is who you... Come on, let's everybody sing that together, please.